Welcome to the Property Portfolio Podcast with Mark Stokes and Nigel Green. Every week we inspire and guide you towards success in the world of property development, mentorship and fundraising. Before we jump into today's episode, a reminder to join us at equacademy.co.uk where you can gain free access to hundreds of videos and templates to help you on your property development journey. Hi, and a welcome to the next episode of Property Portfolio Podcast. And today we're going to do something a little bit different for this week's episode. I'm going to dig back into the archives of my mind and reflect on 25 years of my corporate career and maybe some of the entrepreneurial reflections and I, I, I don't look back very often, if I'm honest. Um, you turn to salt if you look over your shoulder. But from time to time, a brief look back, reflection, because it's the past that made you the person you are today. So some of the reflections for me, uh, many of you will know my background. I was born and bred in Lincolnshire, went and did my degree in, in construction um, in 1988, 1988-89. Um, that's when I, I started there. And uh, one of the most profound things that certainly hit me uh, very early on in my uh, my, my life as a, an adult um, was the football match that I went to, which turned out to be the Hillsborough disaster. Um, and the the ninety seven people that passed away as a result of that event. It was ninety six on the day and subsequent days and. And uh, the 97th passed away only a, a few months away after having in- incredibly life-changing uh, injuries. But something like that really, it sears something on your soul that that stays with you. And you, you, you know, I didn't suffer anywhere near as much as as many people on that day. Um, but the the courage, the reflection, the the context. Um, was incredibly important for for me to overcome. There was no such thing as PTSD back in those days, or as nothing recognised. Um, but that was an incredible learning curve for me as a as a young man, you know, nineteen years old, uh, uh, going through that experience and, and witnessing what I saw on that day. But what it also did was it prepared me for a, for a life, a life of leaving nothing on the table literally enjoying life, maxing out, whether it be my life as an ultramarathon runner um, in C-suite, exec level, um, corporate career, or indeed running multiple businesses. You know, if you can overcome those kind of challenges in life, you know, they're literally, you live a boundaryless life. And uh, it was only a few years after that when I, I got my degree and uh, my first, uh, I've only had two, two jobs actually in my, in my corporate career. The first one lasted about a dozen years. And that was with a, a US company that was looking to invest in telecommunication infrastructure, uh, not only in the UK, but Europe and, and out into Asia Pacific as well. And that was a partnership with uh, a, a hugely um, a prominent organization in the US called Kiwit. Kiwit are one of the largest US contractors, a company that trained me and embodied the uh, the passion for looking after your people, your assets, your plant and, and planning. I went to their engineering university in Omaha, Nebraska. Um, and Kiwit did a joint venture to head out of the US um, with a uh, who is now a billionaire, many of you may have heard David McCourt, 
And David McCourt was the first person I could truly say was uh, was a mentor in my life. And that was back in 1992, and I joined McCourt Kiwit International. Now, if any of you have ever worked for a hugely influential entrepreneur at the scale that David McCourt is at, or indeed any US corporation, um, they really do drop you in at the deep end. You might get a life raft as well, um, but uh, you might not. You know, They will give you as much responsibility as you can possibly handle. And that was the approach I took in, in my career. Um, it didn't matter what shitty job came along, my hand would go up. If it was a project that needed recovery, I'd dive in there and sort it out. Um, I worked unlimited hours uh, and threw my back into absolutely everything. Um, and it be almost came a part of my my uh, internal CV that, you know, any dirty job, give it to Mark, he'll sort it out. Um, and I, I rose um, to quite heady heights in, in my corporate career. Because of that, I would solve problems and I became a corporate troubleshooter. Uh, because of that as well. But it started from some of those uh, very timid backgrounds as I was a very very shy uh, young man in, in many respects. Still, I'm very conservative in my private affairs. Um, but really working for a large US corporation back in the early 90s with David McCourt. Um, very sad news recently of the passing of Walter Scott Jr., who was chairman and chief exec of, of Kiwit and led Kiwit after Peter Kiwit's passing, led them through a phenomenal transition. And uh, Walter Scott Jr. was a billionaire in his own right. And I've still got pictures of me with, with tiger cubs at Walter Dawley Zoo, or sorry, Henry, Henry Dawley Zoo in Omaha, Nebraska, back in 1992. And, and that the reason why that zoo is one of the most prominent ones in the uh, in the world today is because of the philanthropic efforts of the likes of of Walter Scott um, and indeed Warren Buffett, uh, another famous resident of Omaha, Nebraska, which is where I stayed for for many of my my months in the US uh, when Kiwit were training me up at their engineering college and and on uh, Lockham Dam 16 on the Mississippi, um, which was one of the big engineering challenges I faced very early in my career. So uh, my career with McCourt Kiwit International, you know, I grew with that business. Um, I grew that business, had a team of many hundreds of people. We were responsible for hundreds of millions of capital expenditure in the UK, then across uh, Europe, Middle East, and then into Asia Pacific. And I was based for a couple of years out in in Asia Pacific, predominantly Sydney, but working all over the Asia Pac um, region. But at the same time as doing all of that, I also took on uh, an opportunity, which was presented to me by David McCourt, actually, um, to start up a wireless business. And this was looking at wireless base stations for what was the growing mobile base station market at the time for the likes of Vodafone and Cellnet and Mercury Personal Communications, some real blasts from the past. And we grew that business into a multi-million pound turnover business, very successful uh, in the UK and some European countries. So that was a, a side project for me, uh, growing that business that turned out to uh, to employ you know, several hundred people. And during all these steps and stages, I was learning and probably not realizing it at the time, that business acumen, but it was entrepreneurship or some people might call it 
entrepreneurship, of setting up businesses from startup phase or acknowledging the opportunity, identifying it, planning it, doing the startup, um, taking a business through its maturity curve and all the challenges that go with that, um, which saw me in, in good stead to establish, you know, the the the, the great acumen principles of uh, of entrepreneurship outside of corporate life. Um, while I was in um, in Asia Pacific, uh, I actually took my eye off the ball on my personal investment plan, and I'm, I'm not ashamed to to admit it. Um, it was a period of my life where I had a brief foray with uh, the stock markets, and that was in. Uh, uh, in in around about uh, 2000, 2001, uh, many of you will remember the terrible crash and the dot-com bubble burst. Um, well, I had a very intense period, uh, a couple of weeks where we really needed to challenge some, some fundamentals in the business across the region. And I took my eye off the investment portfolio, pretty much went off grid. And during that period, um, the stock market collapsed and I had a margin call. Um, and that is not a very pleasant experience. And the lesson that ta- taught me was was stick to your knitting. Um, if you can't dedicate the time, focus, and attention, you really shouldn't be in that as- asset class. Um, and I think I, I see um, willy-nilly investing, whether that be in crypto or stock markets or indeed property or any other asset class, uh, it really doesn't matter. If you haven't got the time, attention, and dedication to study your craft, uh, you're probably better sticking to your to your knitting. Um, I um, I progressed in in corporate life. Troubleshooting became a key part. Always has. Um, I, I was generally uh, the one who got the call from the chairman saying, "Could you just?" Uh, and that might mean you know the plane tickets are waiting. Get on the next flight out of Heathrow and and go and solve some some corporate firestorm somewhere in the world. Um, and sadly, that's uh, we've investigated um, tax affairs, um, fraud, a fatality, or a couple of fatalities. Very sadly, um, breaches of bank long stop and funding commitments, um, leadership issues where leadership um, uh, leaders have, have left or maybe not done their their job properly. Um, and I think leadership has always been something I've been incredibly passionate about. I've always led from the front, heart on the on the sleeve. If I'm if I'm making a few hundred people redundant for for whatever reason, I'm going to get on the stage and I'm going to talk to you. I'm going to tell you what the principles are here, what the issues are, why we're having to do this. Um, some people will be angry, some people will cry, some will be in tears, some bizarrely will thank you. But what they're hearing is they're hearing it from the horse's mouth. And this is the reason why. Hold me accountable if you wish, but these this is the market conditions and why we're having to do it. So that's leadership standing from the front. And those principles of leadership, I, I saw those uh, back in my early days. Um, I found I was in, in corporate life, I was very mentally taxed and focused, um, but less physically. Um, so I, I joined the Territorial Army in the 90s and saw the principles of phenomenal leadership um, in uh, in some of the uh, things we, we got up to in, in the TA. Uh, and those principles took me through into, into corporate life. I, I took those principles, those lessons, those learnings, um, and adapted them to, to suit my style. 
And I think that's another important reflection of understanding who you are, comfortable in your own skin, your style, not trying to be anybody else. You're not trying to simulate somebody or emulate who they are. Um, I have learned just as much from people who I probably didn't really respect as, as much as I have people who have respect. I can learn something from every single engagement I ever have. Uh, ever had, and that's the, I think that's the humility in business. Humility is seriously one of the one of the biggest strengths you can have as a an officer of a company, as a as a, as a business uh, man or, or or woman. So leading from the front, telling it how it is, being open, transparent, and being accessible as well. We took out all the um, back in the nineties, all the. Um, uh, the walls in our offices made it very open plan, accessible, um, almost to the point of taking doors off hinges, to be honest, because we wanted the leadership team to be accessible. And I see that with, uh, I have passion in, in you know, collecting watches and also in, in Formula One. And it's that high performance culture, not having any arrogance there that, management know best you know it's those water cooler conversations conversations at every level of the organization where you take in lessons learned feedback suggestions really analyzing them if there are problems in the organization you're looking at root cause analysis not trying to put a band-aid on something going deep into the issue and fundamentally resolving it so it never ever happens again and i've i've seen at first hand you know, the worst things that can happen, such as a fatality and the impact it can have on, on many, many people, um, right the way through to what seemingly might be minor things, but minor things can snowball into major things. Um, and just because you don't want to do something or it's a bit awkward, you've just got to nub, you know, get to the nub of the issue uh, and resolve it quickly because it, it will escalate. So, you know, setting the pace, setting the, the boundaries of your organization, I mentioned the word boundaryless there um, earlier on. Um, I, I think it's really important to have highly abundant uh, vision and, and goals. Um, don't set yourself false boundaries, um, but you actually need to set yourself operating parameters in the business as well. A business can't be run by entrepreneurs from top to bottom of the organization. And I've seen that um, that problem manifest itself in quite a number of businesses where entrepreneurs attract other entrepreneurs. And you, you simply can't have that entrepreneurial culture all the way through an organization if you want to grow to a level of, of maturity. You need the foot soldiers in there, the people who are great at what they do, but that's all they aspire to. And you can take the culture and you can add something very, very different to that organization to make those people you know, so collectively collegiate, um, and create something so phenomenally powerful that it actually protects the economic integrity uh, of the business, protects their their roles, and gives them something that they could probably only hope to aspire to in the past, which is um, uh, uh, no glass ceilings. They can aspire to anything they want in that organisation. And that in leadership is one of the greatest things I've ever experienced, seeing people succeed out with of, of every possibility they'd ever factored. We see that time and time again, Nigel and I, with with mentoring people. We've, we're in our 24th year of mentoring people now. 
and seeing people achieve out with of what they ever hoped they would is just a, a wonderfully gratifying experience. And you know, that question, why do you do that, Mark? You know, well, that's part of the reason, you know, it's uh, we really enjoy it. So leaving uh, leaving that corporate life um, wasn't casting aside 25 years of experience. Um, it was actually utilising that experience, reflecting on it. I see a lot of people cast away all of their, their experience that they've accrued over many years, but actually build on that. It's very, very relevant. And the more you become entrepreneurial, setting up your own business, investing, whether you're a SaaS trustee, whether you've got property developments, um, you'll find the more you get into the detail, the more you'll draw on your prior experience, which you never thought was relevant. Um, find a way of capturing that. Capture it. We use the ECRA IDA for our development analysis, but it enables us to capture all the lessons learned. If you don't, if, if you learn the lessons, but if you don't then store the lessons and build on them, they will vaporize and you will lose them. They'll be diluted. So do find a way of storing those. Same with risks. You have a risk register. You know, the risk register starts with the first line. And after a year, 18 months, it's probably got 30 or 40 lines there. Um, you're building it. Start with version one to get to version 10. And over, over the years of, of my reflections, um, I've also seen joint ventures. Joint ventures are, are something that a lot of people mention about. Um, and to many, it's a bit of linking pinkies and walking into the sunset. But I can tell you it's got a lot of perils attached to it as well. Um, it can also be one of the most joyful experiences. Uh, I first met Nigel. Um, Nigel joined our organization back in 90, late 1997, early 1998. And we've been joint venture partners ever since. We've sat at management meetings. We've been through the tough calls. We've sat at board level. We've set up businesses. We've closed businesses. We've mentored people for almost a quarter of a century. And that's a phenomenal example for me and the one that inspires me above any other of what can be achieved by the phenomenal power of joint venturing with somebody. And that to us isn't Nigel and Mark, it's the Green and the Stokes family. You know, it's something so much more than just two, two guys who, who have a connection. It's so much deeper than that. And you need to feel those principles in any joint venture you have. Um, so if you if you are entering into a joint venture, um, you do need to understand, drop me a line. I can help you um, structure joint ventures. Um, ask those tough questions in the good times. Don't wait for asking the, uh, the tough questions when it all goes a bit pear-shaped. Um, so really important there. And uh, I'm blessed that Nigel and I have grown that that structure, those relationships, and that code of conduct, the understanding, that feeling, um, who's great at one thing. We're not both great at everything. You know, we, we don't both enjoy everything. You know, we find our groove and we know instinctively who's best to seize an opportunity or solve a problem because we both work slightly differently as well. But we've got very consistent, uh, commonly aligned uh, values. And that underlines pretty much a consistent factor in my business. I've referred to it in the past as the no wankers culture, have very little tolerance for people who um, don't have that respect for, for others. 
yes, they can be ruthless and merciless in pursuing their own objective, but it's not just what you do in life, it's how you do it as well. Um, so, you know, surround yourself with fantastic people, have great mentors. Uh, you know, I've had uh, two billionaires as, as mentors uh, at varying degree, degrees of proximity to me uh, in my very early years. Um, I, I met Warren Buffett back in 1992. You know, I've uh, had had dinner with him. Um, he was he was a billionaire at that time as well. So I guess that's three people there. Uh, maybe I could have made more of that. Uh, maybe I did make a lot of it. Maybe I don't give myself credit for that. Um, but surrounding yourself with phenomenal people who walk the walk and talk the talk as well, really important. So there's some reflections from me over a 25-year corporate career. Uh, some of the challenges I've had, I've certainly not done everything right first time, um, but I don't think I've ever made the same mistake twice. Um, so that that classic analogy of failing forward, it works to a degree when you're in a world of precision engineering and um, a culture of mission-critical environments and health and safety, I'm afraid you can't fail forward. If you fail forward, people die. Um, and I've seen the worst of that happen. So fail forward works from a, um, a, I guess, from a motivational perspective, but the gritty reality is you need to be able to avoid those those failures. But make a start. You have to make a start in life. And I think that's the important principle here. Build on, recognize you are enough. You have the ability to uh, to roll forward, to absorb the punches, um, to be stronger because of those, and to grow and achieve amazing things. And I wish you all the very best. Reach out, have a chat with us at ecoacademy.co.uk, or just drop me a Facebook message, and I'd be more than happy to have a chat with you. Hope you've enjoyed this very deep, personal, entrepreneurial reflections on a 25-year corporate career. You have a fantastic week ahead. Take care. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to the Property Portfolio Podcast. We hope you enjoyed this week's episode and that it inspired you on the next leg of your journey. If you've got any questions or comments, why not reach out to us at our Facebook page, Equa Academy. Also, don't forget to register for free access to hundreds of property development videos and templates over at equaacademy.co.uk and we'll see you in next week's episode. Thank you.